Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. You know, in the 11 o'clock service, uh, they're just used to this. If I even come up and speak, we have a video that kind of sets the tone. And so maybe you're not used to it, so I kind of want to introduce what we're going to do here for a second. We're going to play just a little clip. And we're talking about integrity today, and it's kind of graduation season. So I hope you find this little 60-second video as funny as I do, and I hope it doesn't offend you. But let's play this and laugh. isn't getting a dime from me when it comes time to divvy up the will. 
But the opposite is true, isn't it? The reason why so many people, families don't talk, the reason why kids don't want anything to do with their, grand, their, their grandparents or their parents, the reason why people get cut out of wills, the reason is this subject of integrity and character today. You see, we are in a integrity crisis in America. And people will go, oh, Pastor, it, it starts at the White House. No, it doesn't. It starts at some elected official. No, it doesn't. It starts at the police station. No, it doesn't. Oh, well, you, you're talking about church. Well, Pastor, the integrity crisis in America starts in the pew, and we don't have enough Christians. And no, it doesn't. The integrity of crisis in America started long time ago in the pulpits of America. It started when preachers refused to preach on things. It started when they started to walk away from things. But it also started when so many pastors' lives did not back up the words that they preached and stood for and standed for. Why is integrity so important? What's the big deal, Pastor? You're taking an entire Sunday and you're going to devote it to this one subject as we go through the life of David. We see Jonathan, an amazing man. Why is it so important? I'll give you a couple reasons why. Number one, God blesses blessable behavior. And English people, majors, I know that's not a real word. I know, but it just rolls off my tongue really well. God blesses blessable behavior. If you want God to bless you, it's kind of start with your behavior. See, as a parent, you know this. As, as a parent, and, and if you have multiple children, you have this. There's one child who does everything they're supposed to do, right? They behave all the rules. They come in for curfew. They do everything they're supposed to do, right? And what you try to do with that child, you try to help them out. You try to bless them with more. And as a parent, you're required to, you know, feed, house, clothing, right? But you don't have to do more. But they, you try to help them. But then there's another child, right? who is always constantly struggling. Uh, many families call that child Ron. <laughs> but, but there's a child who doesn't do, right? And so what you do, you, you just do the, right, this is the way you're gonna be. I tell my kids this all the time. My love is unconditional, but my money comes with strings attached. You, you, you want a car for me? Okay, well let me just see what you've done and how you're behaving and what you do with my husband. You want to be on my family cell phone plan? Okay, well then this goes with being on my, you want to be on my car insurance? All right, well this goes with all of this and stuff. Listen, God is the same way. If you're here today and you feel like I am on the spiritual bottom and it feels like God does not bless me spiritually. By the way, if you walk out of here with the mistaken mentality that God's blessings are financial, you have missed the boat. God's blessings are relationships. God's blessings are peace during difficult times. Say amen. Amen. But God blesses that blessable behavior. Maybe you should reevaluate yourself and say, I'm starving spiritually. I feel like God is different and far from me. Maybe your behavior integrity is keeping God from blessing you. Number two, our lives demonstrate our faith. The great Irish, I have to slip that in, the great Irish evangelist Gypsy Smith said this. There are really five Gospels. He said there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian life. And most people will never read the first four. <coughs> We say we believe all of this, and we have all these high standards, and everybody marching in a parade should listen to us, and what that president did was bad, and we say we have all these moral standards, 
but then our own personal lives don't back it up. We don't walk the talk, and then we wonder why nobody gets saved and nobody wants what we have. See, there's a difference between character and integrity. This is my definition. There's a whole bunch of, you, you Google this and you'll find a million different definitions, but this is my definition. The difference between character and integrity is this. Character is what you believe. These are my principles. This is what I believe. This is everything about me. This is who, what's important to me. This is what I believe. But integrity, integrity is how you act or apply what you believe. See, you can have all these great standards and character, and this is what I'm going to do, and this, or this is what I believe. This is how a man should treat his wife. This is how a wife should treat her children. This is how you should live your life. I've got all these things written down on paper. In fact, I can give you a whole list of it. But when it comes to actually applying it, I cheat on my taxes. I, I cheat on a lot of business deals, and I, I, I'm not super faithful to my wife, and I've got all this, my application does not match what I say I believe. You believe one thing, but your morals, your lying, what you do with physical intimacy is completely different. So I'd like to be, I want to say relevant. I don't want to be relevant. Um, I'd like to talk for a moment about something going on in our culture. I'd like to take a little five-minute commercial and talk about this. And then I'll tell you at the end, every time I speak on this subject, what happens, okay? I'd like to talk for a second, it's not in your notes, about the entire Me Too movement. And how a Christian is supposed to live in this Me Too culture, all right? You say, well, the liberal cultures created this concept that men would, uh, yeah, that's fine. We, I can completely agree with you on so much of this. But this is how a believer in Jesus Christ should act in a Me Too culture. Number one. No one should touch a non-spouse. Amen? Amen. Um, you say, Pastor, that's not even insulting. That's like kindergarten level. Keep your hands to yourself. I understand that seems very simplistic, and maybe you're, you're offended at, at my sophomore approach to this subject, and you, you, you could do a little better than this, Pastor. If everyone just followed rule number one, this world would be different. Churches would be different. Pastors and the pulpits. Our country would be completely different. What I'm basically saying is this. If you're not married to them, don't touch them. Because, well, pastor, you get a little animated about that. Because we suffer so much because of this subject. We suffer in our country. We suffer in our families. We suffer in our churches. Because of this one simple point. If you're not married, leave your hands off them. Number two, report all questionable and immoral behavior. Um, I come to this, and I must confess that in our denomination right now, this last month, this has been an issue. Because of a leader in one of our seminaries, some females came to him over the last 10, 15 years and said, uh, another student, male student, touched me or was aggressive or even one person used the word rape. And that leader said, well, let, let's not tell the police. 
We'll handle this inside. We can take care of this better than the police can take care of it. I want, I want everybody in here who's a leader in this church, you're a teacher or anything else, all sexual assault or misbehavior must be reported to the police. We report it immediately. We don't try to hide, well, he's a good man. Well, but Pastor, her family's been here a long time. She's a good, no, we turn them in. Let me just say this also. As the pastor of this church, he said, well, Pastor, I think, you know, there's a, there's a person in this church, there's a man in this church, there's a lady in this church, there are teachers, there are leaders, there's something else going on, and come talk to me. I, I promise you this, I will do my best. I, I can't always promise because sometimes there's not proof. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Pastor, I've heard report that, you know, one of your deacons, one of your leaders in this church is doing something. I've heard the report that one of the ladies in your church is doing something. I take this all very seriously. My first month as a pastor, senior pastor, wife comes to me and says, do you know in Awana, a lady is telling all the other ladies about her physical life. She's 69 years old and she's talking about her and this other man. Awana director says, well, I'll, I'll take care of it. I said, no, I'm the pastor. So I went and talked to this lady. You know, having a conversation with a 69-year-old lady about her physical intimacy is not what I call a holiday. It did not come. She denied it. Well, Pastor Gregory was about to say, don't take down a spectator sports suit unless you have proof. You can't. So I said, I'll take your word for it. I told my deacons after it. I said, I hope I have enough character. It was easy to approach a 69-year-old lady that's Social Security, right? I said, I hope I have enough character and integrity when it's the vice president of a bank to later do it. Fast forward four years, vice president of a major bank, part of our church. Pastor, we hear this. that you want, you, I, I might not. But I promise this, I will do my best with this. Anytime this type of thing happens, it needs to be turned in. Amen? And I don't know why, and, and you know what? 10 years ago, whatever, too many Baptist preachers were condemning the Catholic Church for not doing this. I mean, they love the Catholic Church 100% wrong. Now I find out that many of our fellow brethren were doing the exact same thing. Well, let's just not tell people. That'll create a scandal. A child, a woman, or even a young boy is worth creating a scandal. Okay. Now, listen. He said, well, well, then what do we do? You know, I can't tell jokes anymore. And, and, and I like dark humor. I think people falling is funny. I like that type of humor. <laughs> but you know what? You shouldn't be saying that in the first place in front of people. You shouldn't be telling jokes like that. Well, you can't have fun anymore in the workplace. You can't. Well, you shouldn't have been acting that way in the first place. Amen? I hope that if you leave here today, I hope that if anyone ever comes to you, you know, you can tell that they're lying. 
if they say, Pastor Steve did this and this and this. I hope I conduct myself in a way that I'm not touching ladies, that I don't make inappropriate jokes, I don't think certain things are funny. I hope you would think that, that, that that's not Pastor Steve's character. But I would also say this, if somebody did, I hope you would say, well, let's find out for sure. Because no one is above suspicion and everyone is accountable. Amen? Lastly, number three, create barriers. Um, I have people laugh at me about my rules. They laugh at the vice president about his rules. Uh, I don't ride in cars alone with ladies who I'm not related to. Now, and if I saw somebody on the side of the road, it's raining, I-75, and their tire's flat, they're standing in the rain, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm going to try to pick them up and you know, take them down. But, and I've had to do things like that. And when I do things like that, I'm on the phone when the speaker phone with me and my wife. Amen? I don't go to dinner alone with ladies. I, I don't counsel alone in my office with ladies that I'm not related to or anything else like that. I try to minimize my time in this building if I'm alone with a lady that I'm not married to. I don't hug ladies that are in my age group. Now, some if you're in my mom's age group, I hug you all the time. And I know I just insulted some of you. Because you're like, who hugs me? <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. But I don't, you say, why? Because I create barriers in my life. Um, I don't know how you can have an affair if you're never alone with somebody. I had this happen. Um, last week went to Pastor Gregory's funeral and saw all my old students and everything else. And, for, and, and I was gonna inbox on Facebook one of the, the young ladies and stuff. She was like a daughter to me and stuff. And I always think of her as 15 years old. And I was about to inbox her and I realized, wait a second, she's not 15 anymore, she's 35. It's not appropriate for me to have private conversations that don't include my wife. You say, oh, pastor, you're just overboard. You're just, you're just really sensitive about this. You want me to name the men who, if they had my, my rules, wouldn't be embarrassed like they are today? Wouldn't be divorced like they are today? Wouldn't be disqualified from pastoring like they are today? If they had these simple barriers and simple rules... Please, for the love of God, for the love of your family, for the love of your wife, for the love of your husband, put some barriers in your life that can't be crossed and can't be changed. Listen, for some of you, I try not to, and if I, don't, if I can help it, I don't go out of town without my wife. Because I don't want to be in a town all alone. Oh, nobody knows me. Nobody, Because I, I don't want to do something stupid. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm capable of doing something stupid, and I would rather die than desecrate my God or, or, or put something on my family that they shouldn't have to bear. Create barriers. Keep your hands to yourself. Report anything that's wrong. Keep shouting it until somebody listens. And create some barriers in your life. Now, I will speak on this subject. I even went back over the last year and looked at my notes. I will make a comment about this every two or three times, two or three times a year. And it's usually about a 45-second little blur. But once a year, I will take this, what I call a commercial timeout, to discuss this. Last time I did it was January 2017. 
time before that was May of 2016. I talked about this and spent some time emphasizing this. And every single time I do this, someone leaves our church. Every single time I do this, I get confronted by somebody who says, that's not appropriate to talk about in church. Why are you talking about this? That was way too much time, and I'm, I'm offended that you would say that in church. Listen, instead of being offended, why don't you be a little more self-examination today? See, because if somebody speaks out about this, I'm good with it. That is awesome. Somebody preaches on tithing, I love it. I tithe. Somebody, you know, if somebody preaches about spending too much time watching football, I don't like that. <laughs> if somebody speaks about like, oh, you spend so much time on sports and looking it up, it's, a, it, it's weird. Maybe the fact that I know that this weekend is the 42nd anniversary when the Tigers uh, drafted Alan Trammell, Jack Morris, and Bill Wilcox 42 years ago. Isn't that awesome? What a great draft pick. But anyway. Right, that's weird that that stays in my head. And yet somebody asked me, just said this week, oh, happy anniversary. And I went, oh, yeah, that is this week. All right, but <laughs> God, thank you, whoever said that. I can't even remember who said that. But anyway, instead of being repulsed, why don't you be self-reflective? So here is my integrity checklist. Just, just something to think about. If just check, you were to check this out. Are you willing to be right and stand alone? Nobody else is with you. Everybody's against you. 200 people in a PTA meeting think you're ridiculous and old-fashioned. Everyone in the boardroom says, this is a million-dollar deal. Why are you being this way? Everyone says, hey, let's just cover it up. We don't need the scandal. Secondly, are there things in your life bigger than you? What will determine so much is if, if, if there's something bigger, more important than you, like your family, like your marriage, like your integrity, like staying out of jail. If these things are bigger than your own little five-minute moment of self-gratification, if there are things bigger than you, it'll change your life. And lastly, is your world um, Is your world unbreakable? A young girl asked her father if all fairy tales uh, begin with once upon a time. No, said the father. A lot of them begin with, if elected, I promise. <laughs> it's amazing the level of lying and deceit that goes on. Um, I, 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 I wish everyone could spend a week riding in a police car. Just to see what happened. When I was in Illinois, we were helping that church out. I got a little part-time job, but I worked at Walmart as security. Oh, my Lord. My eyes were open. I don't trust anybody for anything anymore. We had, and the guy who was with me was young, and he was really good at it. And he was, you know, we're doing it. And he goes, all right, we have somebody over the our little hidden thing that we have. Okay, and I'm getting ready. And I'm like, dude, it's a pregnant woman. She wasn't pregnant. She had a ham. She had clothes. <laughs> and we looked at the video afterwards. She walked in skinny. She walked out obese. And he pulled her over, and I was like, we're going to get in trouble. You're accusing a pregnant. And, and she started taking all this stuff out. And I'm like, good Lord. I had little old ladies. Little old ladies. <laughs> and he talked.
talking to him, he said, here's your problem. You're, you're, you're judging people by looks. Don't judge people by looks. Judge them by obscure things like why do they have a big bag? Why are they walking this way? Just, just, just assume everybody you meet is a crook. Turned out he was kind of right. <laughs> so how do you do on the test? Your word is unbreakable. You're willing to stand alone. There are things bigger than you. If you have issues and questions about maybe you didn't do as well, don't worry. Every one of us here probably has better times than others. But you know, there's a character in the Bible that probably does really well at that test. Jonathan. Jonathan is a type of Christ. And I believe Jonathan would have passed all three of these. David is God's choice to be king. He also has a friend by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan has made a covenant with David to protect him. It just with, I know my intro is going to be longer in my message, but I felt like I needed to talk about some of that. What did Jonathan, what Jonathan did with integrity, I just want you to see this as we go through this. Number one, he stood alone to do right. Look at verse 32. If you're a father, listen to this. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What did David do that you want to kill him? What had he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him. He threw one at David, now he's throwing it at Jonathan. Whereby Jonathan knew, he's like, there's no hope for my father. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. Oh, by the way, where did he learn anger from? He learned it from his father. And did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for his David. He was grieved for because of his father. But look at this little verse, this little end of verse 34. Sir, every dad underlined this. Look what the authorized version, the King James says. Because his father had done him shame. Every boy needs a father to be proud of. And every boy needs a father that has standards and stands for something and does not back down on it. This may sound silly to you, but I won't drive a foreign car. In fact, if you're a little old lady, I'll let you get away with it. But if you got a foreign car, go park it in my driveway. You say, well, why would you have such a standard? Because my dad was the exact same way. I remember my, my, my dad should have ran him off on this. The guy who ended up burying my dog, my, my sister, and he showed up in a little Fiat thing, a little Italian thing. And my dad said, uh, get that out of my driveway. You're not parking that. And my, my, my grandfather was a, a teamster who shook Jimmy Hoffa's hand. My other grandfather was a UAW worker. My dad was a blue-collar union worker and stuff. And he's like, no, you're not going to have that. And he, listen, my wife and I were looking at cars, and we got to do some stuff. And she said, well, what about this? And it was a Honda. And I said, I want to tell you something. I am not going to heaven and meeting my father. And the first thing he says, what did you buy? <laughs> He said, oh, well, that's kind of a, stand, a silly standard. Okay, that was my dad's standard, and I inherited it and everything else. I'm having a hard time because I'm not driving a Ford. I, I know he's going to look at me sideways when I get to heaven about that. But anyway, um, but, all right, maybe that's a silly standard. But you know what? Some other standards I, I admire about my dad. One girl his entire life. 80, 90 hours a week sometimes to take care of his family, but was always in church and always made sure his family was in church. Things I admire about my dad, the standards he set, walking in on my father repeatedly, listening to Dr. James Vernon McGee, following on word for word, taking notes for what that man was preaching and talking about on the radio. 
Yeah, I took some of my dad's silly standards, maybe about driving a foreign car. But I praise God, he also set a standard of integrity, of morals, of ethics for me to follow. Sir, look at what Jonathan said about his name. Because his father hath done him shame. What standard are you leaving for your little girl? Number two, what Jonathan did with integrity. He lived for things bigger than his dad. In verses 20-23, Jonathan and David work out a plan to, to tell David that safe or not from Saul. Verse 35, this is the plan executed. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field, and at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto the lad, Run after not, run by not the, now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he, he shot an arrow behind him. And when the lad came into the place of the arrow, and Jonathan had shot, and David's watching all this, and Jonathan cried after the lad, and the lad said, It is thou arrow beyond thee. And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. This is words for David to hear. And Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but he had knew, knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter of what was going on. Jonathan lived for things bigger than himself. If I had to summarize Jonathan, there's three things I would summarize Jonathan lived for. Number one, he lived for his family. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about how Jonathan, what Jonathan is doing today in our passage, will save his family's lives later on. That's my Father's Day message. Secondly, he lived for his country. Jonathan proved time and time again he would die for his country. But the greatest act of patriotism he did was by taking care of the man of God. You know, we want to change this nation, we want to change our state, we want to change our community, we want to lower your tax bill. If the man of God just started declaring un, just bluntly the truth of God's word, it would change this nation. And number three, he lived for his God. Matthew 25, 23 says this, that Jesus will talk to a certain group of people after they've died, after judgment, and will say to them, Well done, good and faithful servants. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Are you living to hear that from your God? Good job. Well done. Or are you living for temporary joys and little temporary things? <coughs> and lastly, what Jonathan did with integrity, number three. He walked his talk. Look what Jonathan does in verse 40. And Jonathan gave his artillery to his lad and said, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place towards the south and fell to his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. This is respect. And they kissed one another. These are best friends. And they wept for one another until David succeeded. They know they're not going to see each other again. I think Jonathan knows that he's going to die because of his father. He knows because he's going to die because of the decisions he's making today that are the right decisions. His integrity is going to find him dead. But in verse 42, when Jonathan said to David, go in peace. I've got this. For as much as we have sworn, both of us in the name of, we made an agreement that we, I use my word as my bond. Saying, the Lord be between me and thee, and between thy seed and thy, my seed forever. And they arose and departed. One and Jonathan went into the city. Next to verse 42, if you'd like to put notes in your Bible, just write that simple word, integrity. Because Jonathan will do what he said he would do. This verse reminds me of Galatians 
Galatians 6 8 says this. We reap what we sow. You want to reap integrity? You want to reap the blessings of God? Well, what are you sowing in your life? It also reminds me of another phrase that I remember this old preacher saying, and it's one of my favorite quotes, and it's this. I just always, I used to say this all the time as a student pastor. A lot of young people want to sow their wild oats, and when they are young, and then pray for a crop failure. Isn't that awesome? Sow your wild oats when you're young, and then when you're old, pray for a crop failure. Listen, we know that's not true, that so many people, what they start when they're young, creates a, a, an impact, and it snowballs, and I'm going to emphasize this at 11 o'clock more than here, but it creates a snowball effect in their life. But it's also true if you're a senior citizen. What you sow, you will reap. Jonathan has a son, and his name is Mephibosheth. Nobody names their child that anymore, do they? Hey, Matt, that doesn't come out well, does it? But his name is Mephibosheth, and we will see next week how Jonathan's integrity and character and decision to do the right thing, even though it cost him his own life, will save the life of his children, will save the life of his son, his grandson, and for the rest of their life, they will be taken care of because of one man's decision. Sir, if I could grab hold of you at this moment, let me ask you, are the decisions you're making, will they bless your grandchildren or will they curse your grandchildren? Are you helping your wife or are you cursing your wife? The decisions you're making, where future generations rise up and say, I am so thankful for what that man did. I am so thankful for how that lady behaved herself. I am a better person because of that. Or will they turn back and say, I'm dealing with the issues my grandfather put in my life. They will either bless you or curse you. You say, Pastor, why are you getting so excited about this? Why? Because so much of my time is spent with this. With men and women who make such poor decisions about the integrity of their life. So much of my time is spent with adults because they were young, made poor decisions and now in the future are reaping what they sow. We tell this entire generation, listen, be physically intimate with everyone out there and just do all this stuff because you're only young once and college is a time for experimentation. And then when you get older, you'll settle down. But now you've trained yourself to be physically impure. Now you've shared the most intimate thing with so many other people and so many wives. Gonna, my, my husband's just not open to me. He's just not intimate to me. Yeah, it's because from prom night until the day you graduated, you were open with all these other people and it's no longer special. And then they wonder why they can't find their soulmate. By the way, that's a lie. There's only a godly. Amen? Amen. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell that to my daughter. She's getting married on me. She thinks she needs to grow it up. How a kid gets married at 24 years old? She wants to be 24 and get married and move out of my house over my dead body. <laughs> Posted on Facebook, June 7th, they're supposed to get married. One year, I'm going to marry my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a real hard time. <laughs> a real hard time. It really bothers me. She's my little baby. And, uh, oh, I think Georgia. <laughs> That's a real 
exhibit. No one. something be Jesus in your life. When I was younger, we had a, a, a friend that lived in our neighborhood and stuff, and he was my brother's age. His name was Jeff. And I was always amazed at something about him. He's a good athlete. That didn't make me. What always amazed me was his unflinching ability to lie. Just look at an adult in the face and just flat out tell something that's not true, but act like it was the gospel. From little things, like when we were playing and he'd have to be at home and he had a watch, that was a big deal, you know, in the 80s. He'd have a watch, what he would do, he would set his watch back five minutes. And his parents would see, but my watch said it wasn't. And he would lie to his parents about where he was at and he would take money out of his mom's purse and everything. And it always amazed me that he was such an amazing liar. The concept of doing this seemed so foreign. And I was a bit in awe of him until later on a lot of that caught up to him. You must be really good at lying and covering it up. You must be very good at putting on your suit or your dress and coming to church. But eventually, your sin will find you out. And when I was a junior high coach, one of the other junior high coaches, he was really good at this. This was, we did it mostly for fun. But this, maybe I shouldn't have done this for fun, Jessica. This is not me telling you. But we would do this. Our, our players would be walking by and they're going out on the field and they had to walk by our coach's office and he'd say, watch this. And he would grab one of the junior high boys and he'd come in the office and he'd sit them down and he'd just stare at them for like a minute and not say a word. And he'd go, we know. We know. And that's all he would say. And these boys, and they would start confessing to cheating on tests. And they would just spill their guts on stuff. And I'm just, he was amazing at it. He should have been a police officer. Just the look he would get up and just go, we know. We know. Can, can I just close with this thought? God's going to sit you down one day. I know.
Are you ready? Is there something in your life?